Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we have the privilege of spending time in your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the privilege. And we pray, Father God, that as we open our hearts and minds to hear from you this morning, that you would speak to us. And I pray, Father God, as we hear from you, Father God, we will allow your word to do its work in our hearts and in our minds. May we then leave this place with an intention to do the things that we've heard. May our lives continue to bring honor and glory to your name, be a demonstration of good works that you would receive all the honor, the glory, and the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been in the book of Titus for some time, and we are finally coming to the end. We finally come to the final chapter in the book of Titus, and I can say it's been an exciting and a challenging journey. I'm excited in the things that I learned, and I hope the things that we learned, but also challenging in the things we were we realize maybe we weren't doing. Um, especially Titus chapter 3 has now spoken to me as it pertains to the things that are going on presently. When we look at the book, when we look at Titus, it says that these things are for now, for, for this present age, he says in Titus 2. And I think it's quite relevant that we as God's people Ensure that the things that God has said in his word we not just know, but practice. As our speaker, Mr. Albrecht, during the East Missions Conference, he mentioned about the fact that he feels at this time, our time is short. There is not a lot of time. He believes this may be the last harvest, and the Lord's return is, is near. And the challenge to us then as Christians is, what should we do? Is this the time for us to be taking it easy, sitting back, putting things off, or is this a time of urgency? Do we see the necessity of getting God's work done, doing what God says, being who God has called us to be? And while I spend this time in, in, in Titus, the Lord constantly challenged me as my wife and I sat around the, the um, dinner table last night talking to our children. I said it would be a sad thing um, for our children just to be people who know the word, just have an intellectual knowledge, a head knowledge with no practice. Because as I said, our, our desire is to see our children fulfill First John, that, that I hear that my children walk in truth. And I think that should be our desire not just to be persons in Calvary Bible Church who have a sound grasp of Scripture, who have sound doctrine, who know the truth, who understand the, the principles and the doctrines of God's Word. Because I think it would be a shame for us just to be hearers of the Word, knowers of the Word, and not doers. Because I think that's what it's all about. It's not about us just gaining that head knowledge but about us actually putting the principles of God's word into practice. No matter how difficult, <clears throat> no matter how challenging, no matter how hard, 
It may be against what we feel and what we think, and, and it may be something that's painful and difficult, but the word of God is to be obeyed, no matter how difficult it is. And as I looked at this passage, it was a challenging one, especially in our day and time, especially the things going on in our country, and I hope you understand. But as we went through the book of Titus, we learned that Paul wrote this book to Titus, his true child in the common faith, as he says, to assist him with his charge in Crete, which was to put what remained in order and to appoint elders in every town. We learned that the problem in Crete was false doctrine, that there was, there was leading, that was leading to ungodly living, unliving, and even to upsetting whole families, as he said. He said the solution to this problem was sound, healthy doctrine demonstrated by good works. And I say it's good works is sound doctrine walking. Or good works is when you see sound doctrine doing what it's supposed to be doing. We understand that in order for that to happen, we need qualified leaders who have a command of sound doctrine, who are able to deliver it, to instruct it, but also to use it to refute error. We saw examples of sound doctrine in action when we talked about the lives of men and women, young and old. We learned that when sound doctrine is walking, the word of God is not reviled. The opponent is put to shame, having nothing evil to say. And the doctrine of our God is adorned or made to look good. We also noted that the converse is also true. If our works do not line up with sound doctrine, if what we do does not match up with what the word of God says, then the word of God is reviled. It's spoken poorly of. People of the contrary part have something evil to say about us. They can talk bad about not just me. They speak bad about all of us. And our God's doctrine does not look good. And in general, when we don't demonstrate sound doctrine, when people don't see sound doctrine walking in us, we make our God, his doctrine, his word, and his people, we make them look bad. We are told that we have, that why we should do good works. We are told that it's because of what Jesus Christ has done, his redemption. And we are told that we should be zealous, dedicated to good works. And a part of our, mo- our motivation is that we get to look forward to that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior. Do you realize the world does not have this hope? We do. We get to look forward to the fact that our God, our Savior, he will come back. He's going to take us to be with him. And that's why we can do good works. That's why we can be who God has called us to be. We have something to look forward to. We have a God who has also empowered us to do that. And as we continue on in chapter 3, we are now reminded. And he starts off with that word in chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them. In other words, I've told them before. I've mentioned it already. But you need to remind them. And what do you could remind them? Remind them to be submissive to rulers. He was talking to them initially in chapter 2. He was speaking to specific groups. 
and telling them what their specific responsibilities are. But now he's speaking generally to the body and telling them, generally, you need to be what? Submissive to rulers. Remind them to put themselves, to be under the subjection of those who are in authority. The rulers, the authorities, this is to us, the prime minister, the chief of police, whoever is in authority in our land. And we are told that we are also to be obedient, not just to be submissive, to obey what those in authority say. Now, as I said, this was a a rough one. Because we know in, in our particular political climate, things are very challenging at this time. Yes? Yes. You don't have to answer, but yes, you agree. Things are challenging. When people make this, when, when, when the, the ads come in the paper and says that the, the government's representative on VAT has not paid his real property tax in X amount of years. And what you say? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient not just to be obedient now, to be ready, to be willing to do every good work. That, that, that was a tough one. That, that was a tough one. Because, let's be honest, the challenge with us is, why should I follow individuals if they aren't following their own laws. They tell me I must pay my taxes. They don't pay theirs. They tell me I must obey the law, but they aren't declaring their income according to what the law says. They tell me I must follow the principles, but we know that there are some who may not be, may not be, because I, I, I don't know, maybe you do, but some who may not be. But scripture does not allow us as believers, the right to choose what we do. We can't decide, we can't decide what's right and wrong. Because as God's children, Paul says, remind them, as God's children, following sound doctrine, the word of God says they're to obey those in authority. Let's see what it says in Romans 13. And it goes in even further. Because you know, some of us, we have it hard, you know. Because when you come through customs and you don't pay that last dollar you had, and you know you ain't got no money, but you're telling the fella, I, I only have $300 to declare? Come on now, let's be honest. Scripture says in Romans chapter 13, and it reads from verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval." For he is God's servant for your good. But if you wrong, if you do wrong, be afraid. 
For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out wrath on wrongdoing. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attend to everything. Pay all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes is owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. When I take this, con- this, this verse and I put it in context, I'm thinking something was going on in Crete. And I think it's applicable to us today. Why would Paul tell Titus to remind them to respect those in authority? What was happening to the persons, the Christians in Crete, that he had to tell them that? I believe they weren't doing this. They weren't respecting those in authority. Because you know what? We are Christians. We know better. These individuals are unruly. I mean, when I looked at this text, this was during the time of Nero. This is when Christians, later on Christians, were persecuted. Why would you listen to authorities that, that kill us? Why would you listen to people that don't obey their own rules? These, these, these fellows don't deserve our respect. They don't deserve our obedience. They don't deserve our submission. But God said, but you don't have the right to choose that. That's not for you to decide. Now, this does not mean that if those in authority tell you to do wrong, you should do wrong. I think, because we all know, we are answerable to God, not to man. But if it's within reason, within the law, for the purpose of what God has called them to do and to be, these men, these individuals, these authorities are to be obeyed. Sometimes we think we're better. It even goes further in, in, the, in the chapter. He says in verse 2, he says to speak evil of no one, to slander, to gossip, to abuse. We shouldn't be talking about our fellow man. It's sad to say, not even about those in authority. Sometimes at work, if a situation is going on and someone will come to me and tell me something, boy, Craig, You know what? How you could treat this fella like this? Do you know he does this? I said, how can I respond to him like that? I don't know what you say is true. I've never seen them in that position. But what we'll do is we'll listen to people give us gossip, unsubstantiated information, and we ourselves will respond to that individual based on that unsupported information. We'll then Treat him as if what that person said was true. Scripture says we're not to speak evil, to speak evil of no one. We're to avoid quarreling. We're not to be argumentative, looking for trouble, being contentious, having a chip on your shoulder. You're not to be the one who believes he has to argue everything. We are supposed to be the ones who are patient, who are in control. This is what the Scripture says. The fruit of the Spirit should be manifested in us. We should be to avoid quarreling. We're to be gentle. We're to show patient, perfect courtesy. Good morning. Good afternoon. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Hey, beautiful. Good to see you. Why do we believe it better? I believe that was the problem in, in Crete, you know. The Christians felt, listen, 
be better than them. You hear what he say? You know who I am? I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. Do you know who I am? And therefore, why should I listen to those leaders, those, those evil men and women? Why should I listen and show respect to these sinners, these, these heathens? Who are they? I can imagine the attitude of those individuals. But you know what Paul says to Titus? Listen, you've got to remind them of something. Remind them that they're to show respect, be submissive, to not speak evil. Why? Because guess what? You were just like them. He says, we ourselves were once foolish. We ourselves were once disobedient, just like them. We ourselves were led astray. We were slaves, captive to various passions and pleasures, just like they are. Passing our times in malice, anger, hatred, envy, jealousy, hated by others and hating one another. We realize we were no better than them. Scripture even says, if we continue in Timothy, that we are to be kind. The servant of the laws must not strive, but we must be gentle because we were just like them. Turn with me, just in case you didn't believe me. Turn with me to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were what? Washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do you know who I am? Yeah. You are a sinner saved by God's grace. And as we look at those individuals and think we're better than, Paul even continues on and says, just in case that wasn't enough, let me bring it home. He says in verse Four. This is how we got where we are. It's not because of anything we've done, you know. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. See, we believe we got here by some fault of our own. Some of us act as if, if it wasn't for me, God wouldn't have had the opportunity to save me. Something special. Paul says, let me remind you, it's been the goodness of the unloving kindness of our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, because we had no good works to offer. Scripture says they were what? Filthy rags. That's what we had. No works of righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You, you hear anything of us in this? 
You, you see us doing anything in this that we should be proud of, that we should glory, that we should now tell people, you know what, I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to show you respect. He said, no. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might be heirs. He made us heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Listen, for by grace you are saved through faith. We know it well, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I believe there was a pride issue in Crete. They believed they were better than. And Paul said, Timothy, Titus, remind them, listen, you were just like them, and you would have stayed like them if it wasn't for God's grace and God's kindness and God's goodness and God's mercy. My mother always used to tell me, you, go to, you see someone walking down the street, and as a young child, you would sit there and say, oh, look at so-and-so. My mother always used to tell me, listen, but for the grace of God, there go I. But for the grace of God, there go I. We look at these individuals, we think we're better. But if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for his grace and mercy, if it wasn't for his matchless, boundless love, where would we be? We would be in the same position, in the same condition, demonstrating the same lustful habits, the same actions. If our God had not sent his son, if he had not offered his goodness, his grace, his mercy to us, we would have been just like them. We have nothing to glory in but our God. Nothing. We need to remember that everything we have is because of him. Everything. Everything. All that we are, all that we have, is because of our God. He continues... And I labeled that particular portion of, I said, you know what? That's the issue of pride. That was a challenge we had. The problem of pride within. That we as believers have to be careful, very careful, not to take what God has done for us for granted and believe that we have done something ourselves. Be careful of pride. Paul reminded Titus to tell him, be careful of pride. But then he told him something else. <clears throat> not just to be careful of pride, but we have to ensure that we remain pure. He says that in verse 8, this saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. He says, all these things I've talked to you about previously is trustworthy. It can be counted on. And I want you to insist on these things. Speak confidently. Give special emphasis. Assert strongly. This is not something you just casually gloss over Titus. You need to make sure these people remember. But for the grace of God, if it were not for him, we'd be just like them. Insist on it. So that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to that very, our favorite topic, good works. Remind them about this so they can be reminded to do their good works. This is excellent. This is profitable. 
This is what we should be doing. This is how we demonstrate sound doctrine. Good works. And then he says, but avoid foolish controversies. You see, sometimes we got to be careful. We get so lax. And we don't contend for the faith. I believe another challenge that was going on in Crete, people were getting that attitude, but I don't understand, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, sort of fell like a little troublesome, the problems. Say, yeah, no, 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 no. Understand now. What did he say? They had such a problem with false doctrine. There were many in verse 10. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families, teaching for shameful gain where they ought not to teach. Listen, false doctrine, division, challenges in your church, these issues, they have to be dealt with. They're dangerous. The impact, the devastation could be awesome. Families were being destroyed because they were just continuing to allow False doctrine. He says, listen, avoid foolish controversies. Listen, if it don't got no value, why are you getting in a conversation? Because some of us, and boy, let me tell you something. I used to be one of them. Sad to say, I used to be one of them. Isn't that like a good argument, you know? But for what purpose? Just for argument's sake? To say, I won that one. And I can quote the scriptures and line it up and, and, and beat you with the word, man. Just beat you with my knowledge of scripture. You wrong. I win. Very good. What did you win? Because you lost a friend. Because I ain't talking to you no more. They ain't talking to me no more. I ain't him. So what's the purpose? He said avoid it. Avoid. Distance yourself. Stand away from. Don't get involved. Shun. These things. Foolish controversies. Don't get involved. It is said that William Barclay made this statement. There is a danger that a man may think himself religious because he discusses religious questions. This is a kind of discussion group which argues simply for the sake of arguing. There is a kind of group which will argue for hours about theological questions. It is much easier to discuss theological questions than it is to be kind, considerate, and helpful at home, or efficient, and diligent, and honest at work. There is no virtue in sitting, discussing deep theological questions when the simple tasks of the Christian life are waiting to be done. It is indeed true that such discussion can be nothing other than an evasion of Christian duties. See, Paul was quite certain that the real task of the Christian lay in Christian action. That is by no means to say that there is no place for Christian discussions, but it is to say that the discussion which does not end in action is largely a waste of time. Discussion for discussion's sake. So what we could do now? You ever been to those meetings? Boy, I say, wait, something. Now, be careful now. I'm not talking about our deacons' meetings now. We're the chairman deacons' board. I'm not talking about our deacons' meeting now. But you ever been to those meetings? But when the meeting is over, you ask yourself what you was doing for the last two hours? You have been to those meetings before? What do we do? What do we decide? We come to any conclusions? No, my boy, but it's a good meeting, hey. We talk for two hours. 
But at the end of it, what did we get done? Nothing was accomplished. No purpose. Was it profitable? No. He says it's not profitable, so don't get involved in it. Have nothing to do with these things, these kind of discussions, foolish controversies, genealogies. Boy, let's talk to my family. You know who I is? You know where I come from? You know who my people is? Let me tell you, man. What, what, what good I could do for the kingdom of God? What good? Quarrels, arguments, quarrels about the law, discussing the Bible, getting into an argument. Why? It is of no value. It is of no profit. It is unprofitable and it is worthless. But even worse than that, not only do you have these discussions and topics, you have people who discuss these things. He says, as a person, as for a person who stirs up division, it's hard, you know. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, nothing to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped, sinful, and self-condemned. Let's bring it home. We're in church now. But Anton, I can call his name because I can throw that out. He ain't, he ain't get mad. But Anton comes to bring up one discussion, one topic that I know. Anton, listen, listen, listen. There's no sense you bringing this up. This can cause problems in the church. There's no purpose. There's no value in this discussion. Please drop it. Leave it. Move along. And Greg, man, this is an important topic. My da, 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 da. And then that's one. It's one now. It's one. Next Sunday, come up again. Boy, let me tell you, I, I, got, I got another one for you. Anton, we just discussed this last week. I said, we don't need this. This is of no value. It's of no purpose. It's unprofitable. It's going to cause division. It's going to cause confusion. It's going to cause a problem in the church. But I just believe we should talk about it. Man, what's wrong with this? I say it's not profitable. That's two. week after that, he come again. Three strikes. I said, man, you can't be so hard. Listen, do you know what it would cost to the body of Christ if we allow that to happen? You heard what they said? Families were being destroyed. The church was being divided. People's lives were being destroyed because we were just willing to allow. We don't want to hurt his feelings. We don't want to put him out. We don't want to make him feel bad. So you will let his good feelings destroy the body. Purity is critical to the body. That's why I believe it was so important when Paul told Titus in chapter 1, choose these type of men with these qualities who have a sound grasp, knowledge, and ability to share the truth and the sound doctrines of God's word and be able to refute and to rebuke those who are in error. Because if we allow the error to permeate and to propagate, a little leaven could leaven the whole lump. Before you know it, you have confusion in the body. Division. He said, this cannot be allowed. Once, twice, finish. And says, have nothing to do with him. Nothing. Because he is what? Warped, per- perverted. It says this fella is, is the word that you, inside out. Perverted, warped. And, and I mean, you can't get no better than this. What, sinful? Sinful is sinful. 
He is self-condemned. His very words, his very actions condemn himself. I don't have to condemn him. Listen to what he says. He's condemning himself. And we can't allow such a person to believe he can have free reign in the body. You got to deal with it and deal with it right away. That sound hard. Paul is telling Titus, this is what you got to do. When I looked at that, I said, boy, you know, I'm not one who likes conflict. No mind a good argument, but I don't, I don't like conflict. Some of us, we, we don't, you know. We, we, we don't want to get ruffled people's feathers. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But sometimes, we have to take the hard road. We have to take the road that is less traveled. We can't allow for the sake of tolerance things to just permeate in the church. That's the catchphrase of our day. We have to be tolerant. That's just his opinion. Listen, that's his opinion. But his opinion don't line up with God's word. And as such, it has to be addressed. So we've got to be persons who are not prideful, persons who stand for purity, and who put things into practice. Paul concludes chapter 3, and he says, When I send Artemis to Articius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. And so he gives a bit of hint where Paul will be. He said, listen, send Artemis. I will send Artemis and Tychius to you. In other words, you're not going to be there the whole time, Titus. You finish your work, I'm going to send these guys to relieve you. I need you to come and I need you to meet me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. He said, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. These brothers were probably with him in the ministry at Crete. He says, now, you know, I need you to hurry up. Let's get them out of there. I got something for them to do. He said, but unless our people. He said, why did they use the word our why didn't Paul say, let your people, our people, learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful? The, the, I mean the last to the next to the last voice. Paul, bring up that point again. Good works. That's hit about six times. That word comes up about six times, that phrase, six times in the, in the book of Titus. Good works, good works, good works. Let our people, our people, not your people, Titus, ours. All of us are in this together, you know. All of us in this body, here at Calvary Bible Church, the body of Christ, we are in this together. It's not about you. It's about us. It's not about me. It's about us. We. He said, let our people learn, study, Understand. Let them learn good works. And how do you learn good works? It comes from sound doctrine. Let them learn good works. To devote themselves to good works. So they can help. And this is the fruit. That's what he says. So they won't be unfruitful. This is the fruit. To be in a position to be able to help those who in need. We need to be in that position. When we are individuals who are not doing good works, living our lives right, we're not in a position to help. We don't have that relationship. 
My challenge is to me and to us. What are we going to do now with what we know? We've been through the book of Titus, and we've looked at all the good works we're supposed to do and what God's word says. But Calvary Bible Church, as I said earlier, it's not about what we've heard. But the question is, what are we going to do? And I want to leave you with this passage in the book of James. As I said last night, we had this discussion around the dinner table, and this is one I mentioned again. After all is said and done, after you've listened to everything that has been said, understood what the text says, the question is this. He says in verse 22 of James chapter 1, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself. The word of God shows you who you really are. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. How is that possible? How could you come to church and hear what God's word says, see us and walk away? This is a person who has deceived themselves. We must not just be hearers of the word. But Calvary Bible Church, we've got to be doers. It's not about what we say. The world has enough people who are talking. They got enough people who are just making noise. Just noise. But when they look at them, they don't see any different. They profess to know him, but they deny him by their works. We can't let that happen. We have to be people of God who know sound doctrine. And then demonstrate it by good works for his honor and for his glory. Because the time, more than ever, the time is short. We need to get busy about our father's business for his honor and glory. Amen.